the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Right in the middle of this book that gives us a look into the future, the end times, and what God has planned for us, he takes a moment to allow for a measurement. We'll take a look at this measurement next on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. The Ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose, we welcome you to today's program, Abounding Grace, with Pastor Gary Wagner. We return to the book of Revelation today, chapter 11, the measurement of the temple, and why this is so significant in the midst of a prophetic book such as Revelation. Take the time to join us today as we continue our survey of this amazing book. Here's Pastor Gary and today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. We'll be looking at the measure of this temple that we read about in Revelation 11. But I want to start off by reading to you a couple of passages in the Old Testament. So you can see just exactly where um, John gets these um, ideas, these concepts for the measuring and the idea of the temple and how we have to use these Old Testament passages or Scripture to explain Scripture. Um, And Ezekiel and uh, Zechariah are two of the books that John uses a great deal um, to explain to us what's going on in Revelation. So we begin today by reading Ezekiel 40, 1 through 5, and then all of Zechariah 2. So, (coughs) Ezekiel 40. In the 25th year of our exile, at the beginning of the year, on the 10th of the month, in the 14th year, after the city was taken, on that same day, the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me there. In the visions of God, he brought me into the land of Israel and set me on a very high mountain, and on it to the south there was a structure like a city. So he brought me there, and behold, there was a man whose appearance was like the appearance of of bronze with a line of flax and a measuring rod in his hand, and he was standing in the gateway. The man said to me, Son of man, see with your eyes, hear with your ears, and give attention to all that I am going to show you, for you have been brought here in order to show it to you, declare to the house of Israel all that you see." And then over to Zechariah chapter 2. Then I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, there was a man with a measuring line in his hand. So I said, where are you going? And he said to me, to measure Jerusalem, to see how wide it is and how long it is. And behold, the angel who was speaking with me was going out, and another angel was coming out to meet him. And he said to him, Run, speak to that young man, saying, Jerusalem will be inhabited without walls because of the multitude of men and cattle within it. 
For I declare the Lord will be a wall of fire around her, and I will be the glory in her midst. Ho there, flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord, for I have dispersed you as the four winds of the heavens, declares the Lord. Ho, Zion, escape you who are living with the daughter of Babylon. For, those said, for thus says the Lord of hosts, after glory he has sent me against the nations which plunder you, for he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. For behold, I will wave my hand over them so that they will be plunder for their slaves. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Sing for joy and be glad, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I am coming and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. Many nations will join themselves to the Lord in that day and will become my people. Then I will dwell in your midst, and you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. The Lord will possess Judah as his portion in the Holy Land and will again choose Jerusalem. Be silent, all flesh, before the Lord, for he is aroused from his holy habitation. Now, I'm sure you notice that in both of those passages, they deal with a measuring. One, a measuring of the temple in Ezekiel, and then a measuring of the new Jerusalem after its fall and after judgment in Zechariah. Now, I preach this chapter today, trust me, with some fear and trembling because it is so highly figurative. But remember what chapters 4 and 11 are about. They are a prophecy of the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD. The destruction of apostate Judaism by the hands of the resurrected Christ. Now, I know this gets old, but I need to remind you every time about the two principles of interpretation here that are particularly important to bear in mind with this chapter. Number one, remember that there is in the first verse of the first chapter, the word communicated in the New American Standard Version and the word signified in the King James Version. And both of those words mean in Greek to write in figures of speech. So the first thing to bear in mind is while everything in the book of Revelation is to be taken as true, it is not to be taken literally. It is to be taken figuratively. So we're warned from the very start that the way truth is presented in the book of Revelation over against most of the other books of the Bible is that it is written in highly figurative language. The second thing to bear in mind is the time frame of the book of Revelation. And I've stated that I believe the book was written in the early 60s A.D. over against a newer view that it was written around 95 A.D. But that view is largely because it is based on guesswork, mainly based on the idea that Polycarp and Arrhenius were both disciples of John. Therefore, John had to have lived late into the first century. Hence, the book of Revelation was written at the end of the first century. Well, John did apparently live to be an old man because I do believe there is sufficient proof that Polycarp was one of his students. 
but the older view was based only in guesswork, not on the book of Revelation itself. And let me very quickly remind you of a few of the reasons why I believe the book of Revelation was written before the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD. Number one, because throughout chapters 4 through 11, there are several prophetic allusions to the fall of Jerusalem. That is, throughout this whole section, there have been several prophecies concerning the future fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD, meaning that it hadn't taken place yet. Secondly, here in our text, John is said to measure the temple in Jerusalem without any word whatsoever that the temple had been destroyed. And surely if the temple had been destroyed, as important as it was, there would have been some reference to it. But there's no indication at all that this temple he was to measure had fallen. Then also in Revelation 17, verse 10, you see a reference to the fact that this was written during the reign of the sixth, sixth Roman emperor, and that was Nero, who died around 68 AD. In chapter 9, verse 11, we have a probable reference to Nero, who throughout his career identified himself very closely with the god Apollo. Then in Revelation 12:18, we see an allusion to Nero, where we are told that the numerical value of his name is 666. So there are the basic reasons within the book of Revelation itself why I and many, many others say it was written before the year 70 A.D. And you'll see that that is important. Now let's go to this measuring of the temple. Let me read verses 1 and 2 again because they give us the flow of this chapter. In the first two verses, <clears throat> there is this command to measure most of the temple, to measure the temple and its altar, but not the court outside the temple. Then in verse 3, we're told about two witnesses who had been given divine authority, and they were to witness for a time, supplied by the strength of the Holy Spirit. And they had great power, greater power even than Elijah and Moses. And when they finished their testimony, war would be waged against them by the beast, and they would be killed. In verse 8, their dead bodies would lie in the street of the great city, which is mystically called Sodom and Egypt, where the Lord was also crucified. So mystically, it was Sodom and Gomorrah, but historically, it was Jerusalem. And we have seen that Isaiah refers to apostate Jerusalem as Sodom, and we've already seen how it is referred to as Egypt in the book of Revelation. Then these witnesses are raised from the dead, and with that resurrection from the dead, they are more powerful than they ever were before. And as a result of their preaching in verse 13, there was a great earthquake and the opposition collapsed. 7,000 people, not five, not six, 
and one-tenth of the people, not nine, not eight percent, but one-tenth of the people fell. And then the passage concludes with a couple wonderful hymns of praise to the triumph and sovereignty of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is going to take me a, a couple of Sundays probably to work through all of this, but let's go as far as we can today, and we'll read verses 1 and 2 again. And there was given me, that is John the Apostle, a measuring rod like a staff. Now that is something like a bamboo rod that was called a measuring stick. And someone said, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship in it. Leave out the court which is outside the temple and do not measure it. For it has been given to the nations and they will tread underfoot the holy city for 40 Two months. So now the first thing we need to ask ourselves is, what is this measuring of the sanctuary? And it is a sanctuary, um, which is a word for temple, and literally is what it literally means here in our text, the temple, the sanctuary. Well, measuring in the Bible had three possible meanings. It meant to measure something so as to destroy it. Obviously, that can't be the case here because the only people not destroyed are those in God's temple that was measured. It also means to measure so as to define the limits and the boundaries and the nature of something. And thirdly, it means to measure so as to care for and protect and to guard. And it is obvious as we look at our text that that is the meaning of the measuring here. That John was told to measure the temple, the sanctuary of God, where his people worship, because that was God determining its limitations and its boundaries so that he could watch over it and care for it and protect it when everything else in the holy city would be destroyed. So that's the significance of the measuring here. Now, what did the temple represent? Well, in the Old Testament, it was the temple in Jerusalem, Moses' tabernacle. Earlier, the great tent that went all the way through David's reign. And then you had Solomon building his glorious temple. But then you had the destruction of that temple later on in the life of Israel. And then the rebuilding of it. So that there was another temple standing, not as great as the temple of Solomon, but a great temple nevertheless standing in the day of Jesus. What was that temple originally intended to be? It originally was intended to be, on God's part, the pledge of his presence with his people, him being among them. That is where God's faithful people would gather to worship him. So now he's referring to the temple in its original intent. It was where people would truly come and worship him, not like the apostate Jews of Christ's day. When we come to the New Testament, what we hear about the temple in Jerusalem is that it is going to be destroyed, and then another temple comes to the forefront and is continually emphasized throughout the New Testament. And that temple is identified with the body of Christ, both literally and, as you'll see, spiritually. 
Turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 2, and we'll read verses 18 through 22. The Jews are concerned or confused about what Jesus is saying here. He just cleansed the temple with the scourge of cords. And in verse 18, it says, The Jews then said to him, What sign do you show us as your authority for doing these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It took 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he said this, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. So the idea of the temple is taking on another meaning. Now Jesus identifies himself as the temple of God, the place where God lives on earth, the pledge of God's presence with his people. So you can see that it doesn't take much of a jump to get from Jesus' body as the temple of God to Jesus' spiritual body as the temple of God. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Now there are several passages we can turn to, but for the sake of time, we won't do that. We're going to read Ephesians chapter 2. And I will start with verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens, and that's speaking of converted Gentiles, with the saints, and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in who you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. So now what does that have reference to? The church, the body of Christ. So in Jesus' ministry, the temple, as far as Jesus was concerned, was his own body. And then as the New Testament proceeded, he and his apostles would refer to the body of Christ, true Christians, as the true temple of God. Let's look at Revelation chapter 3. And you'll see even in the book of Revelation, the temple is used to signify a spiritual reality. Verse 12 of Revelation chapter 3. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, not in the temple of Jerusalem. And he will not go out from it anymore. And I will write upon him the name of my God and the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, not the old Jerusalem, as it will be destroyed, which comes down out of a heaven from my God, and my new name. So even in the book of Revelation, the temple is used in a spiritual sense. Turn to Revelation chapter 7, verse 15. For this reason they, and that is the martyrs, are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne shall spread his tabernacle over them. So you see the book of Revelation starts speaking of the spiritual temple as being Jesus and his disciples. 
So the measuring of this literal temple was as it was intended, not as it had apostatized. Now, that is important. Remember now what it says in in chapter 11. This temple where people worship God, well, actually, the apostates didn't worship God. They kind of played at worshiping God was as a figure of a speech, it represented the true faithful church of God in Jerusalem by the time of 70 A.D. And remember, everything from Revelation 4 to 11 is about Jerusalem and its destruction in 70 A.D. And the midst of all of that, after having said that this temple would be demolished, he said, but there is a temple that will be safe and it will be secure. And that is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we brought this up earlier when he talked about the sealed of God. Remember the 144,000 people in Jerusalem? It wasn't a literal number, but it represented the entirety of God's covenant faithful people that have God's seal. And whenever everything else is destroyed, the only people who survive are those who are sealed of God. Now, he talks about the same thing from another perspective. When the holy city is burned, the only part that will be saved is the measured temple, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Read the book of Acts this week. Because it is amazing when you study the progress of the gospel in Jerusalem in Acts And you see that by 70 A.D., there were hundreds of thousands of converts in Jerusalem. Every time it talks about preaching in that book of Acts in Jerusalem, it mentions thousands or ten thousands there are being saved. It's amazing how many faithful people there were in Jerusalem. And as I said, there is no record of any faithful believer dying in the fall of Jerusalem. Now, there may have been, but we've never heard a thing about it. And that's the point. If it was a significant number, we would surely have been told. So here you have the true and entire sealed church, the measured temple, defined and protected by God and distinguished by God from the unregenerate who are given over to destruction. Now, notice what he says. There's one part of this whole temple complex that is not to be measured, that is not to be protected. There was given me a measuring rod like a staff, and someone said, get up and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship in it. Leave out the court, the court of the Gentiles. And leave out the court that is outside the temple and do not measure it. For it has been given to the nations and they will tread underfoot the holy city for 42 months. So he says, I want you to measure the sanctuary. But the courtyard outside, do not measure that. Because that is given over to the nations, to the apostate. And that is where the apostate and reprobate people live, you see. They will feel the bite of God's judgment when he pours it out upon Jerusalem. The courtyard is where they will be trampled. 
That part is not to be measured. It is not to be protected. The court represents condemned, unregenerate man in his rebellion against God, which at this point included apostate Israel. Jesus, in fact, spoke in his parables of those on the outside. And Judaism of the first century is now on the outside with its religion of works over against the true religion of grace. Well, that's all the time we have. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner, the ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. It is our goal and desire that you would abound in grace through the preaching and teaching of God's Word. And that is why we come to you on a daily basis. Now, as we close out our time together, we also realize that some of these messages that are presented here on Abounding Grace are well worth reviewing again at your convenience. Maybe you joined us a bit late. Well, we have copies on CD. They're just $5. Mention today's date as you call or write to us. Here's how to get in touch with us. The phone number is 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're welcome to also visit our website, learn a bit more about us. We're at reformedheritage.org. Again, reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, if you would love to partner with us, if you're feeling led of the Lord to become a financial partner with us as we continue this ministry here on this station, please write to us at PMB number 402. And the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032. Or again, simply call us. 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to join us for worship. Sunday services here at Reformed Heritage Church are at 5055 Lone Hill Road, in Los Gatos. We meet at the Lone Hill Church 2 in the afternoon. Directions can be found at reformedheritage.org or by, again, calling 408-866-5607. We thank you for joining us and trust we'll see you again next time we get together for another broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. (music) 